Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this week's episode, produced as part of London Trading Standards Week, Journal of Trading Standards Managing Editor Richard Young speaks with a panel of experts about the consumer rights issues arising from holiday cancellations during the coronavirus crisis. With holidaymakers' plans disrupted for the foreseeable future and travel businesses facing a potentially catastrophic financial impact from the ongoing restrictions on movements, cancellations and refunds have become hot topics. Guiding us through some of the issues consumers and businesses are facing during these difficult times are representatives of the Competition and Markets Authority, the UK European Consumer Centre, the Association of British Travel Agents, the Civil Aviation Authority and London Trading Standards itself, as well as CTSI's Lead Officer for Travel and Holiday Law. Over to Richard to introduce the panel. Now, I'm joined today by Stephen Knight, who is Operations Director at London Trading Standards, Paula McFarlane, who is Senior Solicitor at the Association of British Travel Agents, Bruce Trelaw, CTSI Lead Officer for Holiday and Travel Law, Jackie Knight, Consumer Enforcement Manager at the Civil Aviation Authority, Cecilia Parker-Arana, Consumer Director at the Competition Markets Authority, and Laura Johnston, who is Consumer Advisor at the UK European Consumer Centre. Now, Stephen, before we get into travel and businesses' responsibilities to consumers during the COVID-19 crisis, I wonder if you could just kick things off by giving us a brief overview of what London Trading Standards is and what London Trading Standards Week is all about. London Trading Standards is, is a partnership body, so we represent the 33 London Borough Trading Standard Services, and in fact, are slightly fewer than 33 services because some boroughs share their services with other boroughs. Um, but the boroughs come together uh, under this partnership, and we do coordinated joint work sometimes, and we run uh, central intelligence across the London region area and a number of, of other functions, as well as an annual publicity campaign to raise the profile of consumer issues and the role of trading standards in London. And this year, instead of a one-week campaign in the autumn, we've brought that forward and we're doing, and we have been running, a campaign throughout the pandemic period to highlight the role of trading standards in various different ways. Um, Trading standards have been critical to the local government response to the pandemic, um, doing things like enforcing business closures, dealing with scams and profiteering, um, and, and indeed in making sure that um, products that we need for the pandemic, like face masks and hand sanitizers, are being imported safely and we're not uh, not having substandard products being brought in and uh, sold and passed off um, illegally. Um, but this week, our focus is very much on the whole thorny issue of cancellations and refunds. And uh, we hope that uh, we can provide consumers... Uh, with consistent and uh, an accurate advice on their rights. And that's really why we brought this great panel of, of experts together to um, help discuss the issue of refunds and cancellations and uh, what consumers might do to make sure that they, they, get, uh, they get what they're due. Laura, has the UK ECC seen a rise in COVID-19 related travel inquiries from the general public? Certainly since Uh, the whole COVID pandemic has started, we've seen a dramatic increase in cancellations regarding flights, regarding accommodation, um, you know, from UK consumers who have been hoping to to travel abroad, 
you know, from March throughout the summer. So we're working hard to try and advise people on what their rights are, um, especially when you're dealing with laws in other countries, as well as the, the basic EU uh, minimums as well. And Bruce, what kind of issues have you been dealing with from a trading standards perspective? I think the main issue from our point of view and the ones I've been dealing with is the fact that uh, package holidays obviously relate to the uh, package travel, link travel arrangements regulations. And this is the bit in those regulations where under regulation 13, it talks clearly that a refund should be given to consumers as a cancellation under this regulation 14, it should be given within 14 days. And that's the basic part for packages. It would be slightly different, obviously, if it's just flight only or if it's just accommodation only. So, however, we've been dealing with business, or I have been dealing with business, as well as travellers, because it's trying to make a traveller and the business understand the details of the law. And we've had issues where some uh, businesses have come to us and actually have asked for uh, guidance as to whether they could offer a voucher instead of a credit note. Could they offer a gift voucher or other discount vouchers? And from my point of view, from trading standards, vouchers are not the way forward at all. There's no protection for them. And if they're offered a voucher, they have to think very seriously because they will not provide any sort of protection if they're actually be offered a credit note. You'd be looking to see, and I can see that ABTA, as you know, ABTA are providing credit notes, but they're protected credit notes. And if we are in trading standards advising people, yes, take a refund. However, if you agree, then you can get the operator or the business to provide you with a credit note as long as that credit note is fully protected. And now under back to the package travel regulations, of course, they do only talk about three insolvency providers, for want of a different term. So, yes, ABTA, there's bonded coach holidays, and there's people called ABTOT, which is travel and general insurance. So, basically, if you're looking for any sort of protection for packages, there are three main people who will provide this protection. And certainly, ABTA have been very forceful in saying this is the way forward for us. We can provide this sort of protection. So, I think that you can say from a trade stance, from my point of view anyway, travellers understand. Businesses are trying desperately to understand because the ones I've been talking to um, may well be having great trouble in providing any sort of refund, cannot get a loan from a bank to pay off the consumer. And so therefore, yes, there is the law, but there has to be some credible alternative to it if they can't provide the money. So Paula, Bruce mentioned ABTA there. What advice would you give to consumers and your members when confronting some of these problems? Obviously, we see the industry side. We're dealing with our our members. And and when all this hit, obviously, everyone's well aware of the rule that um, refunds must be given for council holders in 14 days. But there was an awful lot of concern, obviously, obviously over that and that it just isn't possible. Um, Remember that our members do get stuck in the middle uh, where airlines and other suppliers don't give money back but our members have to give money back to consumers so very difficult place um and we needed to find some solutions for our members but safeguarding customer rights as well because that's absolutely very important to our members and to us um 
So yes, we what we saw really was that uh, members were coming up with ideas of giving out vouchers and things, which was fair enough an attempt to deal with the situation. But we were concerned because a holiday voucher isn't normally safe for the customer in, in that it's not protected if the holiday company goes bust. If you just have a piece of paper saying you have £1,000 to spend with this company, um, you can't claim that if the company uh, fails financially. Uh, financial protection attaches to you know booking. So we were a bit concerned about that. So we came up with a system to try and help um, help our members and to help consumers with this refund credit note system um, where you know a refund is due to the customer. We were very clear about that. Refunds are legally due, cash refunds. Uh, but to um, give everyone a bit more time and to have another option, you can offer a refund credit note, which customer can use to rebook or they can use to get their money back. And it is financially protected against the failure of the company because it's a way of properly documenting and evidencing that a refund is due to that customer. So they have that if there was any problem. Um, so it's protected if the original booking had financial protection, like packages do, then the refund credit note will be protected. Um, and, you know, we thought that was a good solution for both sides. And uh, our members have been using that, but always with the proviso that cash refunds must be available for customers. So, yeah, that's what we've been looking at. Our members issuing them correctly. Are they correctly saying you can have your money at the end of the day? And um, just hoping that we can kind of get through this period with the industry surviving. Now, obviously, a lot of the complications with the current situation arise from the fact that things are changing so quickly. Presumably, that applies to the potential for restrictions to be loosened around travelling to certain countries rather than others. Yes, I mean, we are starting to look now at future travel and the opening up of destinations again, which is great. We've been talking about refunding holidays for months now, which has all been a bit... So, yeah, moving on, you know, it's good to think that holidays might be able to get started again yes obviously there's certain destinations that have said they'd be looking to get british tourists in and, and that's all great um but yes i mean we need some kind of coherent information from the government because at the moment there's advice against traveling overseas so no one can go anywhere and um, so that needs to be looked at and is that going to be linked up with rules around quarantine so people can go and people can come back from their holiday and, and not have to self-isolate and things so yeah, there's quite a lot to be done um, to get all that sorted out. So we're asking government to give us some kind of coherent information as to the opening up again of, of international travel. Cecilia, from the CMA's perspective, what kind of things are you particularly concerned about when it comes to protecting consumers' rights? And have you seen a rise in complaints against businesses? Yeah, so since the 20th of March, when we kicked off a task force, we have had tens of thousands of complaints uh, from all sectors of the economy about people struggling to get money back and to get refunds. And about 20,000 of those complaints um, have been in relation to travel. And that's been a mixture of airlines, package travel, uh, holiday lettings, uh, and also peripheral services as well. So even things like airport car parks and car hire. Um, I mean, I guess the main harm that we see is that customers aren't getting their money back. They are being, in some cases, uh, fooled into thinking they're not entitled to their money back. So they're being told that their only option is to rebook or to get vouchers or they... Um, 
they're having pressure put on them to accept vouchers instead of getting a refund. Uh, and then alongside that, there, there's the issue that many companies just aren't geared up to actually offer refunds in the in, in a reasonable time frame. So even where they are telling customers they're going to get refunds, um, customers aren't getting those quickly. And while I think, you know, everybody at the CMA and I'm sure everybody um, on today's podcast appreciates the challenges that businesses are having, we're also conscious that a lot of consumers are having challenges at the moment. Um, people have lost jobs, people have um, suffered a reduction in income and are not going to be allowed to to travel or or haven't been allowed to travel to take holidays and then to add in insult to injury can't get their um get their money back. Jackie, I know that when it comes to consumers having problems in this kind of area, perhaps in terms of getting refunds back from businesses, the CAA has an approved alternative dispute resolution service. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about that. Yes, certainly. We've approved two ADR providers and the majority of the larger airlines are signed up to those. And there's lots of information on our website, which is caa.co.uk. You can find out how to raise a complaint. First of all, you'd have to raise a complaint with the airline and then you can go to ADR. uh, And ADR can provide a binding decision. So if they find in your favour that the decision is binding, Not all airlines are signed up to ADR, so the CAA does also run um, a passenger advice and complaints team. So consumers can also take their complaint there if the airline's not signed up to ADR. But obviously what we want to try and ensure is that as many consumers as possible get their refunds without actually having to go through the whole ADR process. Laura, perhaps you could take us through some of the regulatory underpinnings to all of this. Okay, so when you are... Uh, traveling by air and you're departing from an EU uh, based airport, then you are protected by the air passenger rights regulations. Uh, they cover all instances regarding cancellations, delays, denied boarding. So if flights are cancelled uh, due to the airline cancelling for whatever reason, then passengers at a minimum are entitled to either have an alternative comparable flight at terms that suit them. So it may be a flight now or it may be a flight in the future. It could be a voucher if they're willing to accept that. But if passengers don't want that, then they are entitled to a full refund within seven days. We obviously understand that airlines are all in a real pickle at the moment. And seven days may not be reasonable when we're talking about the volume of refunds. So we are encouraging passengers to try and be patient where possible. Um, But ultimately, they do have these rights and they are entitled to enforce them. So that seven days applies specifically to airline tickets. Bruce, perhaps you could take us through some of the consumer rights as they apply to package holidays more broadly. Yes, if you've got, uh, what, is the, what are the other options if you've got just an accommodation only? It's not obviously like the packages. You don't get the options of the Regulation 13 where you should get a refund within a, a very short period of um, 14 days. However, with accommodation only, as in fact the CMA will tell you, they've had a investigation into accommodation and being successful with one that I went to steal uh, Celia's thunder here but uh, they've done very well in sorting out this particular accommodation only provision now what you ask me is basically is, is the same law applicable well unfortunately it isn't applicable I think that yes they should be getting a refund for what they've purchased but you don't have the categoric and the legal requirement for you to actually go ahead and get that refund within that short period. 
I think what I should have mentioned earlier on, Richard, of course, was the fact that with the packet travel regulations, if we're looking at any further movement from trading standards on this issue, then unfortunately the refund within those 14 days is a piece of civil law rather than a criminal statute. So what we'd be looking at is using the Enterprise Act to take action. So consumers still can come to trading standards and we would look at perhaps the Enterprise Act to take further action. And Cecilia, when it comes to things like admin charges around customer refunds, is that something that the CMA is aware of and concerned about? I think it's something we're certainly conscious that we've seen complaints about it. It's not always straightforward whether customers should automatically be refunded admin charges. Obviously, different rules apply in relation to package travel and uh, and flights, but in, in connection with them, um, sort of individual bookings of, of hotels or car hire. A lot of it will come down to to analysis of the contracts and whether or not the person taking the admin fee or the person that's processed the booking is actually the person that you've contracted with. Um, That said, um, we do think that in most circumstances, charging uh, admin fees um, is is potentially unfair. The case that Bruce referred to that we uh, publicised on Monday, um, it wasn't a a case of admin charges being refunded. It was just a a case of of vouchers being offered or rebooking being offered, but no refund. Um, So we we, uh, took that case forward. But we are looking at other other cases where deduction of admin charges uh, is an issue. And and I expect we'll see something coming out um, about that before too long. Paula, obviously the knock-on effects of this crisis are going to be significant for the travel industry. Do you have any sense of how that is likely to affect business in the long term? Obviously, it's, it's catastrophic for the industry with um, all bookings needing to be refunded, all package holiday bookings needing to be refunded, mm. and um, an inability to sell any any more holidays. Um, I don't have, well, I'm not sure I can say too much on what the impact's going to be. It's all a bit of a wait and see. Uh, we haven't had lots of companies going to the wall yet, but it is a real struggle to survive for many. Um, and... Yes, we're just hoping that I mean, look, customers have been uh, great, have been rebooking for next year and have been, we've asked customers to be patient and to try and help and help the industry survive. We ran a campaign about saving the travel industry. So um, that has really helped and companies are hanging on in there, but it's a bit of a wait and see really. It obviously has been an unprecedented situation, extremely challenging for airlines, given um, the inability to, to operate any flights and having to refund um, you know, all the current bookings and also the uncertainty of the future. It's very difficult for them to, to plan. Nobody really knows quite where they'll be able to fly, what consumer confidence will be this summer. Um, and what restrictions there are in in various countries around the world. So it's a very difficult situation and constantly changing. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot in the press about airlines considering reducing their staff considerably, possibly not flying from as many UK airports as they did before. So there there are huge changes potentially coming. Obviously, there are various areas of the CA that are dealing with all the time with airlines um, and it is you know it's very concerning and and very worrying for everybody really now from a consumer protection and trading standards point of view a lot of travelers are going to be checking the small print of their contracts to see how they're covered in terms of insurance provisions stephen what what role does insurance play in all of this 
I think from, from a London trading standards perspective, I mean, our position would very much be that, that individual consumers have got rights, legally enshrined rights, which have to be honoured. And I, and I think we feel very strongly that it's not really for the individual consumers to have to bear the brunt um, of a situation which is almost systemic across the whole industry because of because of this pandemic. In a sense, it's not for the individual consumer to provide an industry-wide bailout would be the way that we would put it. But, I mean, clearly it's an industry which needs a bailout and is going to need a bailout because of the situation um, that is un unprecedented. Um, now, whether or not um, there's any role in the future for the industry to have insurance which covers this kind of situation so that airlines and travel companies would be able to claim on their insurance where they weren't able to provide services because of a pandemic or any other situation where services couldn't be provided being i don't know volcanoes going off or other things that we've seen before that have grounded flights whether that's possible i don't know but i think perhaps that's something which ought to be um, potentially looked at across the industry in the future but i don't think we would would really want to see a situation in which individual consumers really have to bear the brunt of this. I think that would be unfair. And Laura, what would be the UK ECC's opinion on that? We'd agree absolutely with everything that Stephen said, that consumers shouldn't be the ones you know, underpinning the survival. Having said that, however, people do take out insurance and they pay a lot for insurance. And insurance is there in most people's minds to deal with the unexpected and those problems and things. And we are increasingly seeing that there are more and more things that insurances aren't covering. So um, there is definitely a gap somewhere where the airlines are not at fault, the consumers are not at fault, and there is money going somewhere to try and protect people for the unexpected. So if people do have protection in their insurance then it's certainly worth the consideration but they should also you know absolutely be able to enforce their legal rights as well and bruce what are your thoughts as we've always said with travel insurance uh, and i've been asked many times before will it cover if the company goes bust what happens then will you get your money back through your travel insurance and no travel insurers will provide that sort of insolvency protection. You'd have to have it bonded properly by ABS or one other company. But travel insurance itself has come to a fore, and we found some small evidence to the fact that some of the insurance companies are changing some of their details of their insurances so they won't be covering issues like COVID-19 in the future. Paula, do you think this situation will have a long-term impact on how contracts between consumers and companies, specifically in travel, are worded? It is a, a, a big area of concern. Our members have their obligations to the customers under the package travel regulations and everything, so that's all set. And um, then they have contracts with their suppliers. And if the suppliers, if something goes wrong with suppliers, it's our members, the tour operators, and everyone who is on the hook to the customer. So there is a, a real, yeah, it's always been a bit of a bone of contention about those contracts and, and the ability of our members to get redress from airlines and others when things go wrong. So, yeah, it's something that um, will be of real interest over the coming months and uh, companies will be looking to try and improve their contracts to deal more with force majeure type events and... Um, what the rights and obligations of the parties are under that and we're always advising our members to try and get protection there but it's not a particularly easy job. 
Laura, are there any significant differences in the consumer protections available depending on which destination a traveller is going to? I think we can say that there will be differences. Um, I'm certainly not an expert in in any legislation that isn't formed within um, the EU. And even within the EU, there are differences. The law isn't exactly the same everywhere. And we are aware that some uh, countries have implemented emergency legislation to allow businesses flexibility in solutions that they offer um, and ways that they deal with complaints. So I think we can we can assume that there will be dramatic uh, differences, but there are organisations in place that can advise and help consumers, even if they're not uh, purchasing within the European Union as well. And Bruce, in terms of packages, I suppose it depends to a large extent on where the company is based from which the consumer is buying a travel product. If it's purchased directly online from somebody abroad, that will totally change issues because, of course, it may well be that if somebody buys a package, a UK citizen buys a package and the company is based abroad in France or Italy or wherever else, then it will be those, if it's, it's going to be booked abroad, it's going to be that particular country's details of insolvency protection, for example, which will uh, hold sway when they purchase the package. And I think that would be the confusion later on if and when we leave the EU as to how that will change. The real way it will change is the fact that we're producing insolvency protection over here in the UK. That won't change at all. It may well change when you have holidays which are going abroad through Europe, we're talking at the moment, but even outside of Europe. Hopefully, uh, even come the end of the year, there will be seen a need to have an organisation that can give advice on uh, issues that fall within the European Union, which is what the European Consumer Centre currently does, even during this transition period, and hopefully will stay and will still be there to provide that valuable resource uh, for consumers and businesses and people that want to do business on a pan-European level. And Jackie, what would the CAA's perspective be on that? I think I would also say that there are slightly different rules that apply to passenger rights depending on where you're flying from. So if you fly from the UK, then whichever airline you fly on, you'll be protected under Regulation 261 if your flight's cancelled. But if you're coming back into the UK... If you're flying on a non-EU airline, then those rights don't apply, uh, whereas if you're on an EU airline, they would. So there is a bit of a difference there, depending on the route that you're flying on. In terms of things like accommodation, um, there are a couple of factors that will affect what's happening. One is whether you are allowed to travel. So um, obviously there's there's discussion of whether or not the Foreign and Commonwealth Office guidance on non-essential overseas travel is going to be lifted. But for as long as that remains in place, either generally or for the specific destination you're traveling to, that, that's going to um, affect your booking. And the other thing will be what's happening in the country that you're traveling to and whether or not um, either generally they are not allowing visitors or whether specifically they are not allowing visitors from, from the United Kingdom. Um, and in both cases, if you've booked through a service in the UK, so so through an online booking site, um, we would expect that you would have some rights to, uh, to have a refund uh, for any lost bookings in those cases. Stephen, I'll come to you next. We've been talking so far about these issues with regards to reputable companies. Have you come across any situations of, let's say, rogue traders trying to exploit confusion in this area? 
Well, we've certainly seen a big uplift in the number of complaints that have been coming into trading standards in the last couple of months, something like a threefold increase in complaints in this area over what we'd normally experience. Um, and anecdotally, we're getting cases of, for instance, um, travel agents trying to impose fees at the point of issuing refunds. Um, in one case, up to £75 per person um, as a sort of admin fee, um, which we would consider most unreasonable. Um, and if, we, if people are asked to pay fees of that kind of scale, certainly they need to get in touch with trading standards because we don't think that is reasonable. And I think generally people struggling to get refunds and being pressurized to accept vouchers instead and obviously we've said that if you're going to take the option um, of something other than a full refund which you're entitled to um, then something that's protected uh, like the um, refund credit notes that ABTA spoke about I think are much safer option for consumers than, than a voucher because obviously if you take a voucher out and the company goes bust, the airline or the travel agent, then you lose your money. And that's, I think, something we want to avoid. And I don't know, um, on the subject of the uh, refund credit notes, it'd be interesting perhaps to to hear from Jackie as to whether or not uh, Atoll is is going to be working to, pro- to, to uh, protect similar credit notes along the lines that ABDA have spoken about. Yes, we have been doing a lot of work with the government And I think at the the recent Transport Select Committee, the Aviation Minister um, said that they're continuing to work with the the Treasury on this to make sure that they will guarantee the fund that actually backs up the asshole protection. So we don't have a definite answer on that yet, but we're hoping that there'll be some clarity on that very soon. I think that would would certainly be something that would be positive, I think, for consumers that uh, they would have that option. I think a good positivity, if I can follow up what Stevens has been saying, is the fact that I think if we can avoid, because I see all sorts of uh, transcripts of issues where people are talking vouchers. I hate the word voucher because you don't get any protection, as Stevens just explained. I think that the refund credit notes, all well and good, as long as they are protected, because it's the important thing is if you don't get your refund within a certain period because of the reason we've been talking about, then it should really be protected. And you can't be protected by everything. Just saying it's protected doesn't mean much. It's got to be protected by the ABTAs or the BCH or the ABTOP people. If you go too much further into it and you don't get the correct protection, it's worse than actually getting a voucher almost. So, yes, I think vouchers are things not to discuss with the consumers if they've been sold one. I think it's more important for trading standards. Have a look at that, certainly. Yeah, and I think we've we've seen examples, I think, of people who have asked for refunds who have instead been sent things which have been described as refund vouchers um, and such like. And uh, obviously that's not acceptable. If, if a consumer has has asked for a refund, they should get that as a cash refund, not a not a bit of paper, as, as, uh, as Bruce says, that isn't protected at all. Paula, what would be your take on the obligations of APTA members to offer a refund versus something like a refund credit note? And what about in cases where a holiday may technically be able to go ahead, but the consumer wishes to pull out because of fears over health or or being stranded in a country if it enters a lockdown period? If holidays are not going ahead, if holidays are cancelled, then the right to a refund arises. And there have been a lot of questions about does that mean that my holiday this August, I can have my money back? So that's an interesting area. But um, what we say on that is that uh, refunds are not due at the moment. That holiday might be able to go ahead, hopefully will. If 
it comes to August and the holiday can't go ahead, then there will be the right to a refund. But um, yes, uh, the um, if the customer just simply is worried about it, doesn't want to go, then unfortunately there isn't the legal right to a refund if that holiday is able to, to go ahead. Cecilia, how is the CMA dealing with this situation where things are changing so rapidly all of the time? Yeah, I mean, I think so initially um, a lot of the complaints that we were receiving were about price gouging and then they really fairly swiftly swung into cancellation issues and travel related cancellation issues have certainly been very high up on the list. I guess as the situation progresses, there's there's a shift between different sectors and how quickly people are, are being affected by, by particular problems. Um, we are um, currently, in addition to um, package travel, we're also looking at the holiday letting sector and at, at weddings and private events events uh, and also at, at nursery provision and what we're doing is is on a weekly basis actually twice a week we all get together and we look at the sort of the analysis of the latest complaints that come through to see what the, the um, complaint data is telling us about emerging trends so we're very keeping a very close eye on it um, and and, uh, and meeting um, regularly as an organization to decide whether or not there is further action we need to take in in other sectors and um, we are also uh, where we're getting complaints that um, fit more naturally with other regulators so for example with the civil aviation authority or uh, with the medicines and, and healthcare devices regulatory authority we're having regular contact with them and and sharing that information. So, yeah, I mean, really, it's just a, a matter of trying to keep our eye on, on what's happening and, and reacting quickly if we think we need to step in and take action using our tools as flexibly as we can. Well, it's almost time to wrap things up here. But before we go, I just wanted to see if anybody had any questions for any of the other panellists. Last week, we saw news from Spain that the government there is um, taking legal action against 17 airlines for failing to... Uh, inform customers um, of their legal rights to a refund. And I just wondered whether there's, um, uh, perhaps uh, either Celia or Jackie might comment on this, whether there's any kind of similar plans to take any legal action from a government perspective here in the UK, um, since obviously consumers are facing very similar issues to those in Spain. From the CO's perspective, we, we, our review is still underway in terms of uh, how the airlines are acting on refunds. And our aim is, is to make sure that they're doing everything possible to get the money back to consumers as quickly as possible. Um, at the moment, we, we don't have legal action planned, but of course, we will be reviewing whether enforcement action is, is necessary. But it's kind of a bit too early in the review to, to comment on that at the moment. And likewise, on the package travel front, the CMA is is looking at it um, again. Too early to say whether we will take legal action, um, but certainly I would expect us to to take some action. Whether that's uh, warning letters to businesses or publishing a, a public statement, I expect we'll do something just to uh, ensure that that package travel companies are telling customers about their their rights. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to our panellists, Stephen Knight, Cecilia Parker-Arana, Laura Johnston, Jackie Knight, Paula McFarlane and Bruce Trelaw. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.